You are tuned in to Awaken Radio with Connie Chapman. To listen to more episodes, go to ConnieChapman.com or subscribe on iTunes. This is Connie and welcome to today's episode of Awaken Radio. I am so excited to be here with you and to be bringing you a really powerful and valuable conversation that you are going to get so much out of. I am speaking with Katie Dalbaut and we're going to be diving into a conversation primarily around journaling because Katie has just released a fantastic book called Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, which I've been reading and have been getting so much out of. So I really want to dive into that with her and give you guys some tips and guidance around how to take on board this practice. But I also want to uh, talk with Katie a bit about her journey that she's been on and we're going to be talking a bit about healing our relationship with our bodies and with food and particularly even how journaling can really help us with that as well because I know so many women these days are really really struggling with that. So for those of you who don't know Katie let me tell you a little bit about her. Through her blog, podcasts, videos and courses, millennial blogger, speaker and podcast host Katie Dalbaut curates inspired wisdom that guides people to go deep and sift through the thoughts clouding their minds. She's a contributor to Over the Moon magazine, Refinery20 and Mind Body Green, and in 2013 launched the weekly podcast Wellness Wonderland Radio, which attracted wellness and lifestyle celebrities such as Gabrielle Bernstein, Tara Styles, and Joe Cross in its first few episodes. She's the author of the forthcoming book, Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, as I mentioned, and she helps people develop a positive image of their bodies by embracing their creativity and personality outside of their physicality. She's on a mission to share journaling tools that invoke deeper authenticity and self-awareness. Welcome, Katie. It's beautiful to have you here. Oh, it's so amazing to be here. I think the world of you, so I'm so grateful that you're having me on the show. Thank you so much. And, and Katie and I first connected, well, quite a few years ago, actually, but I was yeah. on, on her awesome podcast. And uh, I can even pop a link to that episode if you guys haven't, yeah, haven't heard it's it such a good, It's such a good conversation. It's one of my favorites. Oh, awesome. It was so much fun. So how nice that we get to be back here and this time talking about your journey rather than, yeah. rather than mine. So I really want to open up with you because as I was reading, your book and I was learning so much more about you and the path that you've been on and I always begin here with with my uh, on my conversations anyway to really um, share with us the journey that led you to to even beginning your website the wellness wonderland Mm -hmm. which is where you began sharing these messages with people Um, can you take us right back and, and share a bit about the journey that you've you've been you've been on yeah totally and it's funny because I remember us discussing this when you came on my podcast, but like you said, the website that I originally had was called thewellnesswonderland.com, which I started in college and, and somewhat recently my publisher, um, you know, it's kind of confusing of, you know, I have the book that's a different title. So now my website, it's still the wellness wonderland message, but it's under my name, Mm -hmm. katiedalebot.com. And I know we went through a similar thing with that because you Mm -hmm. had a blog with a different name and then changed to your name as well. And, and, Yeah. And I remember us talking about that back then, but yeah. So basically I was in college and I loved reading blogs. I had a job where I could basically be on my computer a lot (laughs) and I like a desk type situation Mm -hmm. and 
I would just start reading so many different blogs and connecting with people all over the world and not just wellness blogs or spiritual blogs, but like fashion blogs and design blogs. And I just loved connecting with people doing cool things. And it was really, I just became a consumer of it. And at the time I was very into health and wellness and yoga, very much just the physical side of things, you know, like making my body the the best that it could be. And, and at the time that definition to me was thinness, right? Like I associated health with making my body look a certain way for aesthetic reasons. So there's this big siren going by, <laughs> just like giving, giving us a, okay, that this is what we're meant to be talking about. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I was, like I said, I was, that's what I was very into was health from a very physical standpoint exclusively. And I was reading blogs simultaneously, just loving that. And there was something within me that was just like, I could do that. You know, like I should start a blog. And of course, when I did the content of it was what I was really into, what I was obsessed with at the time, which was health and wellness. So the name wellness wonderland came to me in a yoga class and I loved it. And I just really started this blog and started to build this platform in college. I was very fortunate that my boyfriend at the time was really good at like the technology side of things. So he built me like this great little website and I was just like on my way sharing about whatever I wanted and I, I loved it. And a couple of years later, it trans same thing sort of happened. I was listening to a lot of podcasts while I was walking, while I was driving. I spent, I was spending a lot of time alone at the time. So podcasts really were my friends, you know, they were my comfort. They kept me company and same thing happened. I was just like, I could do that. And and um, next thing I know, he helped me out and it was on iTunes, you know, and that was back in 2013 where mm-hmm. it was pre-serial and pre a lot of people doing podcasts so people didn't really even know what they were. And, and from there, you know, I started to learn a lot more because I had conversations with people like you, people like... Um, a lot of those people you mentioned in my bio and I just started to, my, my world started to grow and I'm so grateful to the internet. Like we were saying before we started recording, you know, not only that we can speak, even though we're, you know, hundreds of miles away from each other, but also because I can connect with so many people all over the world and have these, these real life relationships with them. And then also use their work as a way to, learn more and just open my eyes to a different way to see things. So getting back to my story a bit, um, during that time, while I had the blog simultaneously, like I said, in college, I was very into wellness in my, in my physical body. And, but before that I was really, I had a very negative body image ever since growing up. I remember in, in second grade being with a bunch of like girls and their moms shopping for first communion dresses and everyone else needed a size eight and I needed a size 10. And that was the moment where I was like, I'm different. I need to fix my body. And it's when I just started to learn about dieting. I think, I think I somehow made the connection between food and how I look. And I just, in the back of my mind, I was just like, I need to change the way that I look. And I think I should eat less. (laughs) And of course, you know, growing up as a child, you don't really have, you're not doing the shopping. You're not in control of your schedule. So I couldn't, you know, like go to the gym or, and I didn't even have the 
understanding that that was what contributed to the way that I looked. And to be honest, it just didn't. That was just the way that I was built. And I think a lot of, a lot of the way that we look is genetic. And I think that body diversity exists and some people look different and that's beautiful. Thank goodness. But that was something that I've, I've come to way more recently. And I certainly didn't have that understanding back then. And so, you know, growing up, it was just challenging for me. I just, was constantly comparing myself to my friends and the way that I looked and I just never felt good enough. And I just really felt like the reason that I didn't have the boyfriend that I wanted or the whatever that I wanted was because I didn't, I wasn't pretty enough, you know, and I wasn't thin enough specifically because I associated thinness with being pretty. And as I, you know, and I think, you know, some of that I'm sure came from the way I grew up and my parents and, and them struggling with their weight and just seeing that and you pick that stuff up like Velcro. And as I got older in high school, it, it was very, you know, much in my mind, but again, wasn't acted on really until I got to college when you're making more of your own choices. You're making the choices around food more. You're making your choices around your lifestyle and your schedule and I wasn't living at home anymore. And that's when I just was, I, I gained some weight freshman year, like a lot of people do. And that just really scared me, it scared me to the point where I just became obsessed with losing weight, not even dieting, not health, just like losing weight. And it led me everywhere. Like I first found veganism from a book that I read and I was just like, I'm going to do this perfectly to a T and I'm going to like cut it in half and I'm going to just, and I just went for it. And then it was like, from there, it just went further and further. And it was vegan and gluten-free and dairy-free and well, obviously dairy-free, but raw and no sugar. And it was just like no grains. And then I was like, wait, I can only eat green vegetables then. Um, and it was just, you know, there's so much health info out there. There's so much dogma out there that you can literally find something that tells you that every single food out there is good for you and bad for you. And I was just really caught in that. I was really really got caught up in that. And so it started as really just a way to lose weight. And then that started to happen. And I started to, my body started to change. And I really, if I'm being really honest with myself, which I can now looking back at this, I was like, Oh wow, I am in control over this. I can manipulate my size and shape. Like, let's see how far I can go. Like, Oh, all my clothes are falling out of, off of me. Why don't I look like a runway model? Why don't I just like do it more and more and more. And I did. And I was so restrictive and it controlled my entire life. And then I was like, all right, now, then I was like, okay, now I'm going to focus on health. But really I was the most unhealthy that I'd ever been in my life. And so mm. for me, it really spiraled into this very intense eating disorder where my family and my professors, and this was at the very end of college for me where it got really bad. I was in this very unhealthy place, but I was so bullheaded in the sense that like I knew how to fix it. I, I was like, I just need to eat a little bit more avocado. I've got this. Like everybody leave me alone. You know, mm. I was so in my head about it. And finally I was able to see that I really did have an eating disorder and something was very wrong. And I was able to 
get the help of many coaches and therapists and mentors. And I had so many people around me and so much support around me. But at the same time, I felt very much alone and very confused. And that's what really brought me to journaling, actually, because I found myself being like, all right, I have all these people around me, but I really need to be my own friend and my own mentor. I need to get to know myself beyond this obsession with food and weight and dieting. And that's when I started journaling. So I hope that sort of answered the question and feel Mm -hmm. free to pick up on anything in there. (laughs) Yeah. Like I want to dive into you, um, with around the healing and the journaling, but I want to go back to, to that story because that is so powerful. and, And I can actually really relate to a lot of key parts that you've mentioned. And I think one of the things you talk about in your book, and I think what can happen for a lot of people is the pursuit to be healthy without realizing it is coming from a space of fear. So we think, I think these days with all that information out there, we start off wanting to be healthy and clean. Um, I can actually really relate because I went, I went vegan, um, and I was so strict and controlling about it. And I literally lost like five kilos and I'm a small person. I should not lose that much weight. And, uh, it was, it was a really awful time. And then I also went raw and then I also went on the control similar thing where I was like personal challenge. I wonder how long I can go without eating. How long can my body last? And I remember getting to about three days and being so proud of myself that I had accomplished that. So I, I really want to point out to people, how do we start to identify the difference between this desire for health and, and well-being being a genuine desire or actually coming from that really controlling space of fear? Yeah, I, I talk about this a lot. And I think I just want to be honest with the, the first part of my answer is just like, I think, and, and I think you can agree with this, Connie. I think we intuitively know, you know, I think you know when something's coming from your intuition and when something's coming from fear and it might take you a a minute to get honest with yourself about that, but we always know. And I think another really good indication of this, at least for myself, was that if I took away the aesthetics of it and wasn't focused on the way that my body would look and getting my body to be a certain size or weight or getting it to stay a certain size or weight, I had so much fear of gaining weight that myself back then would look at the way that I look today and just be appalled and so scared. And that the reason that I'm okay sitting here and talking to you today is because I did the body image work. And that's something that a lot of people don't want to hear. And even, you know, back then for me, hearing the word body image was like, I don't care about that. I just want to be thin. I don't care about that. I just want to be healthy in quotes. But a lot of times people, and again, you have to get honest with yourself. They lump health with thin, Mm -hmm. healthy meaning thinness. But the reality is that people can be healthy at any different size. And there's actually this whole movement called health at every size and an amazing book by Linda Bacon, Dr. Linda Bacon, that everyone um, should check out if any of this is interesting to them. But basically, you know, the the conversation of health and thinness really are, are separate. And to take that out of the equation and really learn that your body is something that is you and but it's not all of you and to really embrace all the different parts of yourself and I think when 
I think you know that something's up if it's taking over your whole life, right? Like for me, all I could think about was food and how little I could eat or how much I'd eat in or what I was going to eat next or how much I'd move that day or how much I had to exercise that day that I didn't have any capacity for real relationships or for creative work or to really take my life to the next level because I was so consumed by that. So I think that's another really great indicator is like if you are so consumed by the health and wellness that it's taking over your life, then it's probably not healthy. And that's where the word orthorexia comes in, I think. And I think, you know, that being popularized, I think is very important because it's such a slippery slope, you know, between being really healthy and wanting to feel good, but and getting obsessed with that. And I think the really great distinction there is that you're not wrong if you, you know, enjoy food is not just fuel. It's not just nourishment. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be community. It's meant to, I think you're, when you're stressing out about not eating something, it's better to just eat it because the stress is worse on your body than anything you could ever eat. That that's what I believe. And so I think just approaching everything with a more loving mindset and from a more intuitive place is is really beautiful and that's when intuitive eating comes into play and that's when truly loving your body and eating like you love yourself and and that's really embodying you know some of these other principles you may live in your life but really embodying that when it comes to food and and exercise and and doing it from a loving perspective rather than a punishing one or a restrictive one and I think that really opens things up. And then looking at that really can't happen unless you address the body image part of it too. If that's something that I think most women struggle with because of our media, you know, we really only see one type of body shape in the media. It's, it's largely white, thin women. Right. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's changing. It is in, in some ways, but I think we need more diversity to see ourselves, you know, to see our bodies, to see other bodies. And there's, the only proven method of body image to help improve body image is something called exposure therapy. And that's basically looking at body sizes, yours or your size or bigger and looking, just looking at them, honestly, just exposure to them. And I know that like when I started that practice, I was like, Ugh, I can't even look at that. Like, I don't want to be like that. That's how I honestly felt. But over time, you start to find things that you love about them. And hopefully they're idealized images. So like plus size models or, you know, people in your life, in your life that dress really well and, and look really great. If it's like someone old and frumpy that you just wouldn't connect with, it won't really work. But if you find something that it's easier to find things that we love about other people than ourselves. So if you practice being like, oh, well, you know, her thighs are really pretty or her butt's sort of cute or her stomach, you know, not really even in like a sexualized way, just like, oh, that is another way of a, that's another way a person can be. You know, if you're following all super healthy, you know, Instagram accounts and you're only seeing this one type of body and then you look in the mirror and you might not look exactly like that today, you'll just feel bad about yourself. But if you see that there's beautiful people of all different sizes and you really see that diversity in what you're looking at, what you're consuming in the media, then it can help you feel better about yourself. And that was a really big practice. So I think doing the body image work and getting honest with yourself about where the motivation for how you're living is coming from is 
key. Mm, and you talk so much about, about media and, and our, our visual role models. And I think this is sometimes the trap people fall into when they start following, say, Fitzbo accounts on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It begins as inspiration and then it all it becomes is comparison and a person then feeling less about themselves because all they're seeing every day is images of these women with these completely unattainable bodies for most of us and somehow yeah. feeling like that is the standard that, that they need to be reaching. Um, you talk about something really powerful in your book, which is as you began to then shift in your body and allow yourself to come into a different weight and allow your body to heal and change, that was a really uncomfortable experience for you. And is this kind of where the inner work starts to come in and, and you even teach about realizing we're so much more than our bodies how Mm -hmm. did you then support yourself as you began to soften the control and soften um you know that the need to restrict and let your body eat what it wanted to eat eat intuitively follow what you feel how did you deal with that inner dialogue that was really uncomfortable about that change yeah, it's, I wanted to say it's hard. Like I wanted, part of me wants to be like, well, you know, you just breathe through it and you get through it and it's so simple, but it's really challenging. It's really hard. It's, it's, and it's something that I still deal with, you know, to this day and it might still be with me, you know, I think moving forward for maybe my entire life, but it's so much better today than it was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. It's constantly improving and I know how to take that voice that still comes up that still says that I'm not good enough that still says that my body's not good enough that compares my body not only with other people but with my past self mm-hmm. and that nostalgia I might have for the way my clothes used to feel or used to look or the way I used to look in pictures and instead being like oh okay that's one way to look at it or I could focus on all the things I do now and the person I am now that I couldn't be back then because I was so consumed. And the reality is like, Connie, I'm so much cooler now. I'm such a more chill person. (laughs) I'm so much more fun to be around now. I'm not, you know, flipping out about what I'm eating or what I haven't eaten or what I could be eating or should be eating or how much yoga I did that day or didn't do. I'm just more chill and I'm way more fun to be around. And I think, you know, I I talk about this in the book, I think, and I definitely talk about it in my work. It's about making your life as a whole really beautiful and wonderful, not just your physical body. And I think when you can make that distinction of making your life's work, your life, not your body, I think that right there will give you so much peace and so much clarity. And the the thing that makes it challenging, even when you come to terms with that particular fact, at least for me, is that other people aren't there yet. We live in a fat biased world. We live in a, in a world where people are judged on the basis of size and weight every single day. People are made fun of for being sizes that are bigger. People are judged, and that's the world that we live in. People are given favors because of the way that they look, mm-hmm. and that's so when that happens and we see that around us and we know that that we might be subjected to that, of course it'll come into our mind of wanting to change and manipulate our body. And especially with the rise of the health movement, because it is so connected to weight, the way that we connect food and health with weight, it's really promoting everyone to be a certain size when in reality, body diversity exists. And so I think it's about just knowing your truth and knowing, you know, do you want to be part of the problem or the solution, right? Like, do you want to be 
sometimes getting angry and looking at this as like a feminist issue is really powerful. My mentor, Isabel Fox and Duke talks about that a lot. And she really teaches women to stop fighting food and to stop the whole diet binge cycle that so many women are, are go on. And, and I went on for many years. And so I think looking at this as a feminist issue and just questioning like, Oh, why am I doing this? Why am I so obsessed with controlling my weight? Why can't I be happy regardless of that? And I think when you focus on your life more than your food or what you're weighing, the other stuff just honestly falls away and your weight will just be where it's naturally meant to be. We all have a set point and it'll just naturally kind of fall there and it just all sort of falls into place. But I do still have those moments of, really not liking myself and those moments of, you know, having to one side of my brain kind of instruct the other side of the brain, right? Because it it might not completely be there. Most days it is, but if I have a day where I'm feeling off or I'm feeling bunker, I'm not feeling pretty enough or whatever, I can, I have the tools now to come back to myself. And, you know, that's, doing something that makes me feel good, calling a friend. A lot of times it's journaling, to be honest. And I know what to do to get me out of that slump. Whereas before I could stay in it and that bad body image moment could turn into a bad body image day, week, month. It could really spiral and it could bring up those old behaviors that I used to do as well. So I think it's, Mm. it's really about getting to know yourself, befriending yourself. Mm, You know, I think when we're in this place with our bodies, we think the answer is in changing our body. And we're somehow convinced that by changing how we look, it will change, it will fix everything. And what you're really talking about here and what your whole book is about is, is creating the inner change is actually completely changing your relationship with your body or the way you're thinking about anything in your life. And I love what you identified because this is not about being perfect and reaching a place where we just love ourselves every single day. It's about knowing that maybe that old voice will creep in. There might still be triggers, but you know how to work through it. So can you share with me, I mean, the book is just jam packed full of incredible journaling practices. What's your favorite one to go to when that negative, critical, judgmental body voice has kind of crept back in? Yeah. So yeah, like you said, there's a lot in the book where it will walk people through Mm. this more and like hold their hand. But for now, I think, you know, people can start journaling right in this moment simply by asking themselves a good question. If you ask yourself a good question, it allows your intuition to come forth and for you to get a good answer. And it might not come right away, but it will come if you let it, if you give it the presence that it requires, if you give it the mindfulness that that requires. And we're constantly moving so quickly through our days and multitasking and, you know, listening to a podcast while we're driving or, you know, watching, having the TV on while you're looking at your phone or, you know, like, you know, like double devicing or whatever. And I think the thing that I love about journaling the most is that you can't do that with journaling. You have to be present. You have to, it really forces you to be with yourself. You can't be multitasking while you're doing it. Mm, I love that. Mm. Yeah. Which is, you know, rare in this day and age. And then also it's, it can be off putting to people because what journaling really forces you to do is to feel your feelings. Right. And, 
it really puts that mirror up in your face that oftentimes we don't want to see. And we, instead of feeling our feelings, we either eat over them. Sometimes we overeat over them or we restrict our food over them and focus on controlling our bodies over them. And I've done a little bit of all of this, you know, or, you know, not even with food in, in ways. Sometimes we obsess about relationships. Sometimes we have, you know, people do drugs or drink or whatever, party or work. And I've done that too. You know, I think we kind of just transfer addictions, but I think the big thing here is that with journaling, it forces you to actually feel what's up. It actually forces you to feel your feelings. And if you don't feel them, sometimes it's okay to cope. Sometimes I don't feel like journaling and I do want to just, you know, watch TV or, or do something else. Cause I'm not ready to look that in the face, but eventually I have to, eventually I feel pregnant with an emotion that I need to let out of me. And that's when I turn to my journal. So anybody can do that right now. You know, if they're having one of those bad body image days or they're having just like a funky feeling about anything, it could be a relationship thing or a work thing or whatever, simply asking yourself a question of, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling and just seeing what comes up. And then from there being like, how can I make my current situation better? And just let your intuition, write. Just like, don't stop for two minutes or five minutes or however long you can go. And that's really a powerful practice to get to hear your intuition and get to be with yourself and, and letting your feelings speak. You know, it's, it's the same thing of, you know, Connie, have you ever had a conversation with a girlfriend where maybe like something happened to you and you called up, you know, someone really close to you and you just like let it out to them, right? You just like explained mm-hmm. what happened. Mm, you just absolutely. Yeah. Like you let out the shame and the guilt and I bet you feel relief after, right? Mm, Totally. It creates a space inside of you. Exactly. It makes you feel lighter. Mm. It just, you totally feel lighter. And I've done that with really close friends, with coaches, with therapists, with mentors, with family members even. And after that conversation, it lets out the shame and the guilt, the worry, the fear, even if they don't even say anything back sometimes, but you just like getting it out of your head and into space, right? It allows that shame or guilt or whatever it's there to dissipate. And journaling is the same way. It to a different level, I think still having conversations with people is obviously powerful, but it allows you to self-soothe. It allows you Mm. to self-coach. It allows you to get some of that out of your head onto the page. So then you can sort through it. And then that way, when you do talk to your coach or you do talk to your mentor, your friend or whoever, your partner, maybe you can go even deeper. You can peel away different layers of the onion because you've gotten that clarity within yourself that you know exactly what you need to talk about. You know exactly, you don't need to like beat around the bush. You can go there right away. And Mm -hmm. so I think that just simply asking yourself a good question, you'll get a good answer. And if you ask yourself a negatively framed question, it's not as productive. So for example, if you you ask a question like, why is everything so terrible? Mm. You could do that. Sure, but your intuition would find evidence to prove that statement, right? So your intuition would come forward and be like, well, it's so terrible because (laughs) this and this and this, and it will find things. So don't focus on that. You know, I know, Connie, you and I are both really big students of Abraham Hicks, and it's all about, Mm. you know, what we think we attract. And so I think focusing on the good, I think it is important to not limit yourself. And, and Abraham always talks about this too, but like, let out what's actually going on, be real, because the only way to journal wrong is to 
edit, right? Is to not be real with yourself. And so you have to just completely be authentic and real and not afraid to do that. But then, you know, after a while, you'll, you'll see, you know, I, I start to self-soothe as I go down the page. It might start off like yesterday was horrible, but today is better, right? <laughs> and you see that beautiful transition down the page. And and again, it goes back to what I was saying before. Like, you know if you're stewing, if you're staying in the negative, and you know when you need to come out. And it's all about, like, being an adult and coaching yourself through that, you know? Oh, you have just touched on so many incredible points. Um, it's just, I'm so excited. The first thing um, about letting it out, I mean, obviously that's the title of your book and really seeing journaling as this process of bringing it out is so incredibly powerful. I mean, this is why we hire coaches. This is why we have friends. So we can bring out what is stirring within us. And I would say you'd probably be able to relate to this as would most people. I know whenever the stuff was going on with my body or anything else that has bothered me is you Usually when there's something within me that is bottled up and I'm either wanting to suppress it or avoid that uncomfortable feeling or I don't know how to handle it so I, I soothe myself with food or with a binge you know kind of pattern or so or we you know text that person we shouldn't text or we just go yeah. scroll, scroll and numb out on Instagram because we don't want to face what we're feeling and I love what you said that journaling is our space to bring out what is within us and to get really honest and I think people can sometimes be a little hesitant to do that because they're like, well, my thoughts are creating my reality. My energy is creating my reality. I don't want to focus on the negative stuff. But I think what you're sharing, and and I believe this wholeheartedly, is you've got to get honest and real first. You've got to bring Mm -hmm. it out. You've got to just face what you're feeling, honor it, express it, move through it, and then start to use the process of journaling to shift out of it and to shift your energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Abraham talks about this too. It's like, if you're trying to use an affirmation, for example, that I am the greatest person in the world, Mm -hmm. but if in your mind you're believing that that's not true, it's a waste of time. So you have to sometimes get, get honest about what's actually true for you. See that even if it's not pretty to look at, and then you can, move into an affirmation, then you can choose a higher thought, but you have to start with where you are. Mm. And I just felt to touch on something that was coming into my mind too, is I've often used the process of video journaling and I've shared this with some of my coaching clients too, for those of us who love to talk things out and people, I suppose, could even use the prompts that you've got in there. And if they find talking sometimes is, is more supportive than writing, I actually will either do a voice memo on my phone or put on Mm -hmm. my, my video and actually just help let it out through talking and just literally give myself the space to talk out what I'm feeling. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, it's it's funny. Since this book has been out, I'm, I too am a, a verbal processor, but also a written processor. I don't really know what I'm feeling unless I'm writing about it um, and sometimes speaking about it. But it's funny that you said video journaling because I haven't heard video yet. But my one of my best friends, Jordan Bach, who I think you might know too, Connie. Yes, I interviewed he, him. I have a massive crush on him. He's so beautiful. Oh, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> the best. And he got a very, one of the first copies of my book ever. And he was saying like, 
Katie, I do that. I pretend I'm on the phone and I walk down the street mm. voice journaling and the voice, the voice memo section of my phone all the time. And that's how he does my book and it really works for him. And so I think it's and and I hadn't really tried that yet until he told me about it. And then recently, like this past winter, or I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say winter, like a couple months ago, um, cause it's opposite for you guys, but I found I was in like this really stressed out place. I was like honestly having a really rough time. I just was very overwhelmed and I it was just lots of stuff going on with the book launch and I just felt like I couldn't even be bothered to write. Like I needed to process something, but like I couldn't even be bothered to sit down and write or type mm-hmm. and I had to just voice journal and I felt better after I got that out. So, I think it's really not about it the only thing that really journaling needs to be is that it's completely for you, you know, and whether that feels most comfortable for you talking or writing or a little bit of both, or it depends on the day or how you're feeling. Just like I wasn't feeling like writing. I felt like talking. It just depends. And I think it's just like with food, it's like be an intuitive journaler, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. And you, and you talk about this a lot. The real intention of it is learning how to self-soothe and self-coach and kind of support our own self through what we're feeling and if that means writing about it or talking out in a voice voice memo I love what Jordan said I often do that after um after yoga or in the morning if I'm feeling overwhelmed I go for a walk and I just get on voice memo and I just talk out what I'm feeling and your book has like 55 different exercises that would be prompts for people who maybe wouldn't know where to start with that which is why your book is so powerful because it's got tools and structure there for people who are really new to this work. Um, I really, I want to touch on your process of, of how you wrote the book and how you submitted your proposal because you, you talk about it in the book. And I thought it was a really beautiful story because a lot of us have dreams, whether it is to write a book, whether it is to start a blog, a YouTube channel, a podcast, or, you know, a create, follow our creative passion. And most of us will come up against the inner critic, the judgment that you can't do that. You're not good enough, all that blah, blah, blah. And Mm -hmm. you obviously were able to move beyond some of that dialogue when it came up. Can you just share the story around what you went through in getting that proposal in? I know there was a date and it was a really beautiful story. Yeah. It's like my favorite story ever. I just want to say one more thing about the book too. Mm. So it's definitely great for people who have been, you know, are new to this and new to journaling. It'll guide you right through that totally cool. But it also is really cool for people who have been journaling a lot or just are on a spiritual path or have been meditating a lot. Like I'll speak for my friend Jordan, who's like a spiritual teacher and like very famous in this world. And like, Mm. it's been very helpful to him and a lot of people, which is something that I feel very proud of. And it's because it's still helpful for me. It's not like I've graduated from these tools. It just helps me to go deeper because it forces you into different areas, different pockets of your mind that you might not have realized. So there's tools for revealing and healing and feeling. And then there's also tools to get organized and there's lighter tools and there's tools that are more serious. But anyway, I just wanted to say too, that like, yeah, I just feel like it's a good practice regardless of where you are in your, in your journey. But yeah, I've been journaling since I was 14 and I was reading your book being like, I've never done that practice. I've never used my journal for that. was a whole new whole new level for me so I've been journaling for almost 20 years and you know I'm still learned so much out of that so I can I can um, absolutely vouch for that too 
Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's something that I just like thought was really cool. So, okay, so how the book came to be, and it's crazy. So like you said, Connie, it's in the book at the beginning. And I actually just like put the story of how the book came to be in the afterword just because I was like, that'll be fun. Like it's a kind of a goofy thing. And so I just like put it in there. And my editor, when she first read the book, she was like, Hey, one really big thing is that you need to put that story from the afterward into the introduction because it's so good and a lot of people like won't ever read the afterward and so I was like oh okay so now I I love that it's in the beginning of the book but basically I had really I, I didn't have an idea for a book but I started to really feel that I wanted to write a book a very long time ago. It was when I was still really like in my stuff, like I was telling you guys about before. And I was very close with my mentor, Gabrielle Bernstein. And at the time, I think she only had one book out, maybe two. And now she's like super famous and has a bunch of New York times bestselling books. But back then, um, she was, she had just, I think, published maybe her second book. And I was so inspired by her. And I was so, she was so relatable to me that she really opened the door for me into the world of Hay House, my publisher, and so many amazing teachers and speakers and, and people in personal growth and personal development and spirituality, which was something I really needed at the time. And I just, really hoped that someday I'd be able to be a voice in that. I had no idea how, no idea what I would talk about or how it would happen, but I just wanted that. And so I was listening to Hay House Radio, which is, you know, this like satellite radio channel that my publisher has where different authors have radio shows. And I think Gabby had a show at the time. And there was a commercial in between talking about this workshop where they taught you how to write a book proposal. And then they would tell you, then there was a a contest related to that. So they would teach you how to write a book proposal. And then after there would be, I think like nine months or something like that, where you have to submit this book proposal to the publisher. And then there are three prizes and and one is a publishing deal with the publisher and then a self-publishing deal. And like, something else. I don't remember what the third one was. And I was like, cool. I honestly just want to go to this conference, this workshop, because A, it'll be really neat to learn how to write a book proposal because I don't even know what that means. And B, my mentor Gabby was speaking at it. Also, Chris Carr, who I was a huge fan of, and Nancy Levin, who since has become like a huge mentor of mine as well. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go to this thing. That's great. And it wasn't even like I don't even live in New York. Like I, it was not like an easy thing, but I like told my mom, I like wanted this for my birthday and I was really young at the time. And I ended up there and I had the best time. I remember being very overwhelmed by the process of the book proposal and just everything I learned. I remember thinking like, wow, I could never win this. I don't have the platform. Like I was just starting out with everything. Like I just felt very much like it was just this, this pipe dream and very much out of my reach, but it was fun. And I made so many friends while I was there and I just had a great weekend in New York. It was so great. And so I came home and I remember being like, wow, this is a lot of work, but I'm definitely going to submit to that contest because that's what they do it. You know, they give you a deadline. So you don't just like go learn how to write a proposal and then never do anything Mm -hmm. on it again. You know, so it's really a smart thing that they do. And 
I, of course, you know, I wasn't exclusively writing. I still had to, you know, do all the other obligations I had in my life to live. And so I was very busy and it just, the summer came and went, the winter came and went, all the months go by. It's the very month that it's due and no idea, no idea for a book. I have not started the book proposal. And, (laughs) you know, for people who might not be familiar with the book proposal, it's not like something you can really do in a day. It's more of a, that's why they give you nine months. You know, you have to do this like competitive analysis. You have to do an entire sample chapter of the book. You have to do, um, like all of these elements to it. And they were very clear that do not submit like a half done proposal. They just won't look at it. They need all the elements. And it's a very like robust document. So I, you know, kind of forget about it. I remember at one point I was home for the holidays and I like went into my mom's room and I was like, Hey mom, you got me that thing for my birthday, that contest. I'm actually not going to submit to it. I just don't have time. And she was like, Oh, it's okay, honey. Like, don't worry about it. And that was really big for me because I thought that she would really want me to do it because I told her how much it meant to me. And when she was like, took me off the hook, I was like, ah, I like exhaled. And I was like, cool, I won't submit. No worries. And then With less than a week, there were five or four days, I think, (laughs) I was up very early in the morning and I would do this thing where I would do journaling very early in the morning at like 5 a.m. and then I would do this kundalini meditation and I was journaling on this yellow legal pad. Literally, Connie, I have it like in my, I have it here someday when we hang out, I can show you. (laughs) And I just like got this whole idea for the book. And I was like, it's going to be called Let It Out. It's going to be like this. Gabby Bernstein's going to write the foreword. It's going to be, I had all the like, the Mm. outline of it just like came to me. And I wrote the whole, like I literally wrote the entire sample chapter out on a legal pad. And I was like, oh my God, this is so great. This would be such a good book. And then I was like, wow, how am I going to get a literary agent? Because I missed this contest. Like, there's no way I can do it for this contest now. And how am I going to make this a book? But I was like, oh, too bad. Like, I literally, that's the way I thought of it. I was like, too bad I didn't submit to that guy. Too bad I didn't get this idea like a month ago, you know? And, And then I was just like, the day went on. I didn't even work on it that day because I like had to work. And I got home from work and I remember being like, I think I'm going to try, which is like a totally <laughs> ludicrous idea because I had no time and I still had to work like the other days of the week. And I just was like, I'm going to try. So I woke up at 5 a.m. every morning and I would write until like nine and then I would like take little breaks and like write a little bit more. And then I would write until like midnight and I would just keep going like that. And it was just such a marathon. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to force myself to try to finish this proposal by the deadline. But even if I don't finish it, and even if I don't win, I'm going to have this great outline for a book. And then I'm going to make this amazing ebook and sell it on my website. And I was so cool with that. I was like, I've felt so confident about this book, which I still love this book so much. And I was like, this is going to be great. And I'm going to, it's going to be on my website. I'm going to have this ebook. I cannot wait for this ebook. It's going to be great. And I really just thought of it as an ebook. So it was very unattached. And then I, but I still wanted to submit to the contest and it was the last day and I just didn't have it done. Like I just honestly, like there was two, I had gotten maybe like 90% of it done, but there was that 10% that was just not done. And I was like, well, it's too bad. I can't submit. And I went to bed and then I like was lying in my bed (laughs) and I remembered that Hay House was on West Coast time. So I still had three more hours. (laughs) So I got out of bed. I got onto my computer 
And I just hustled and I wrote the last couple of sections and I quickly shipped it off with like two minutes to spare. Mm -hmm. And then we didn't find out for a month. So during that month, I honestly forgot about it, really didn't care because I was like, I threw that together. I just felt very unconfident about it for obvious reasons. And I was like, cool, it's going to be this ebook on my website. And I started writing it. I, even though I didn't think I I won, obviously I just started writing. I went to the library every day. I don't even think I wrote about this in the book, but I went to the library every day that every night after work, I went to the library and I started to write this book. Cause I was like, regardless, I wanted to prove to myself that if I did it, the off chance that I did win, I didn't want to be overwhelmed by like, Oh no, now I have to write this, which I still kind of was, but I wanted like something going on that. So that's why I went to the library every day. And then also if I didn't win, I wanted to be like, okay, well I already wrote it. Now I'm going to actually sell this on my website. So I kept going. And then I was like teaching a yoga event with like my phone didn't work basically. And <laughs> where I was, cause it was in like a stadium and I got out and I had like a jillion text messages being like, Oh my God, you're going to write a book. Cause it was like announced mm. and, uh, and it was so cool. And so I did win and, and it was crazy. And it was all because I was unattached to the outcome, which is, I know, as you know, Connie is like the biggest lesson I've learned in my life from that experience was non-attachment. And I think it's just the lesson I'm constantly trying to learn again, when it comes to my body, when it comes to the way that I look, the way that my career is, the way that my relationships are, it's just mm. about practicing non-attachment. So, and I think the other powerful thing you did there, I really want to um, shine a light on it is the way that you followed your inner voice and your intuition. And this is why I believe journaling is so powerful because it really helps us access that space. And you didn't, go through this process from your head like your head would have been like right I'm going to make map out a structure of the next nine months and I'm going to write it like this and write it like that and get it done you actually uh and this is the risk sometimes of following your intuition because you're living in the unknown you actually really waited until that feeling and that guidance came and when you wait to the right moment I mean you just gave an example of how you can literally download a whole book you know in an hour or however long it took um yeah that's what I really love about what you shared is you're so in tune with your own energy and your own body and your own intuition that you could feel when the book was ready to come out and you gave it the space and it came out. Yeah. Thank you for framing it in that way. And I totally agree with you, obviously, that I think of it as intuition mm -hmm. and following my inner voice and other people might just call that straight up procrastination. <laughs> Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> but yeah, it's totally mm. a bit of both. But I actually did. This is so funny that we're talking about this today. My assistant, um, she's so cool. Shout out Amanda. She, we were having a meeting yesterday and I was, there's a new project that I'm working on that I'm really excited about right now. But since the launch of the book, I've just been honestly procrastinating about it. it just hasn't been moving as quickly. And, and I was just being really hard on myself talking to her. And she sent me this Ted talk all about procrastination and how it can be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it really speaks to what we're talking about right now, which I, have you seen that one? It's Adam Grant. I haven't. No, I'd love to see I it. I just posted it on my Facebook like a couple hours ago. Right. I'll, I'll send it to you, but, and maybe you can put it in the show notes but it's showing that a lot of people who are innovators like Steve Jobs and he did a bunch of research on this and basically just a bunch of other people they 
do sort of do that same thing where they stew on an idea and then at the last minute they get this burst of inspiration and energy and actually execute it. Mm. And he said that the, the difference there is it's not people who don't know about the task and just do nothing. It's people who know about the task think about it and then they you know do their daily life or they like play games or they you know get on Facebook or they go on a walk or they procrastinate in other ways but in their mind is still that task Mm -hmm. they're getting energy towards it they're thinking of it they're like stewing on it and while other people might be like taking you know little steps from their head like you were saying every single day working on it a little bit they're just working on it in one big chunk and gathering inspiration the other time so he explains it much better than that in the TED talk but that's really the gist of it and I think it really applies to my story and a lot of you know good work I think comes from that place Mm, and 100% that even that TED talk which I'm sure will be really valuable for a lot of people including me helps drop as you would know the the self-judgment and the beating up we do on ourselves when we feel like we're not executing in the way that we should be whereas sometimes we just need to trust that an idea idea is still forming within us energetically before it's ready to be acted on yeah no that's that's such a good point you're right it really even just when she sent me that TED talk the title of it I think is like how procrastination might not be a bad thing or something like that. And just reading that title was all I needed. I didn't even need to watch the talk. Just me being like, oh, it's okay. My idea will come to form. You know, I think that's sometimes all we need is to not feel bad about ourselves and not beat ourselves up Mm because then we just stay stuck. Mm, 100%. Katie, this conversation has been so powerful. I I literally, I could sit here and talk to you all day. I know we we often feel this when we have these beautiful heart-to-heart conversations, Um, but but I'm keeping an eye on the time. So I, I'm, I'm going to wrap up here, but I've absolutely loved this. And I really recommend that everybody goes and checks out this book. It's mm-hmm. just going to be one of those books that you need to have on your shelf because you're going to go back to it over and over again. You know, at different times in your life, you're going to need different journaling practices, practices to support you. And they're all there. So Katie, can you tell my listeners where they can find out more about you, what they can expect from you maybe over the next couple of months and where they can grab a copy of the book too? Oh, yeah, for sure. But first, I just have to say, you are so awesome. You're such a pleasure to talk with. You're so kind and your spirit just like shines through over a billion miles away. And I'm just so glad we're connected. Oh, you're so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> but yeah, people can find me on my website. It's just my name.com. So katiedelbot.com. And I'm at katiedelbot on everywhere Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat's my favorite. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. The book is called Let It Out. It's on Amazon. And um, I don't know the stores in Australia, but it's all over the world. It's on, in Barnes and Noble and chapters in Canada and um, also in Australia. So yeah, check out the book. It's, it's really it's it's fun I keep saying it's like a scavenger hunt for your mind you know you can kind of just like flip it open anywhere and just have fun with it and learn something about yourself Mm, absolutely I really recommend people check it out and I'll pop some links below this episode for people to get more information and to connect further with you I love your snapchats so I recommend recommend I love yours too I love yours too. people need to get on there and, and get amongst it it's so much fun Katie thank you so much for your time it's been such an honor to talk to you and I'm so excited for my audience to be able to hear more about the work that you're doing because it's so powerful. Um, And thank you to everyone who's been tuned into today's episode. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye.
Bye.